There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show brought to you by AirGrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Thursday morning, the 24th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Dr Gabriel Scali has published his final report on implementing the recommendations he made in 2018 following his audit of the cancer screening programme Cervical Check. The good news is that since Vicky Phelan shined a light on the programme that Scali says was doomed to fail at some point, much has improved. Substantial progress has been achieved and in many ways the Cervical Check programme has improved substantially as a result of the coordinated efforts of the staff of the various organisations. Knowing the history of uh, healthcare failures in Ireland (coughs) over the years, that women's health uh, was an area that had been sadly neglected. The progress taken over the last four years was made from a very low starting point. The focus on women's health had been lost and there was no focus left. And I'm extraordinarily pleased. uh, The work that's been done in women's health is exceptionally good. And the programme and the funding that's been set aside is, is very, very welcome. And it is going to make a big difference. So women's health has been put very much on the centre stage. Dr Scully made some 170 recommendations to make cervical check fit for a purpose. I never expected all of my recommendations to be easy to implement or to be quick to implement. But it is the area of open disclosure that was at the centre of the cervical screening problem. Where the, the, the poorly designed audit results it's, um, in some women not being disclosed as they should have been, uh, the results of that audit for their own uh, their own slides and their own health. Uh, and in my uh, recommendation, I talked about the necessity of uh, a duty of candour on individuals within the health system to tell the truth uh, and be honest, and also for the organisations, and that 
there should be a duty on both those organisations. That's Dr. Gabriel Scali. Let's speak once again to Rosie Condra. Rosie is a campaigner with uh, the 221 Plus group and known to many people listening to us uh, this morning, many people who were treated in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda over the years because Rosie is also a staff nurse in the Lourdes. Good morning, Rosie. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, here we are four years on and I suppose the main recommendation, the main complaint still needs to be dealt with. There is a promise that legislation will come before the doll, before the Christmas recess. Uh, but uh, I think there continues to be concern about how that le- legislation will be implemented and what it will mean for women. Good morning, Michael. Um, well, I'd like first to openly thank Gabriel Scali and his team for um, raising the bar um, for public health, in particular for women. He's provided the stepping stones and um, we um, wholly welcome all the recommendations that he's made. We will continue to try and raise the bar for women, in particular um, those women with uh, cervical cancer. Um, We would really do not want any process to just be a tick box exercise. So in, um, with reference to particular legislation, the um, patient safety bill, or yes, patient safety bill, um, we will be concerned that, and Gary Scali has highlighted this as well, that this centres around more adverse effects which where the patient dies. But quite evidently, um, adverse effects are where all of us within the 221 are. So an adverse effect there was a failure to um, discuss in an open and candid manner particulars that were pertinent to the person who was receiving care within our public health service. So, and I think even, you know, within that, where we are today is we need all those in the upper echelons of um, making big decisions within our healthcare system, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, to be full of candor. To, you know, maybe it isn't a far request to emulate people like Dr. Gabriel Scali, because I think he and his team are quite fine role models for um, the healthcare professionals within this country to follow. Uh, I think mistakes are made all of uh, the time in healthcare. It's uh, inevitable. And I think what Dr. Scali is saying uh, when he talks about full disclosure, uh, open disclosure uh, and candour, uh, mm. he, he means that if somebody is prescribed the wrong medicine and even if it made no difference uh, to their care or their outcome, that should be made known to them uh, that at the bottom end of the scale. And at the top end of the scale, if a mistake was made that resulted in the death of a, a person, of course, that should be mm. disclosed. And he's saying that the public safety bill, uh, as it is currently drafted, would really mean disclosure in those circumstances which are at the extreme end where somebody dies mm. for the most part. Uh, the Taoiseach spoke about this in the Dáil yesterday and Rosie, maybe we can take a second to listen to what Mima Hall-Martin had to say. To be fair, I think that there's a lot of positives in, in, in Dr Scully's report and he does pay tribute uh, to the department and to the ministers in terms of progress that has been made but he does identify the absolute necessity for absolute candour in respect of the medical profession 
and in, in respect of the health services in terms of absolute disclosure to patients. And in that respect, um, you know, I've been, the meetings that you referred to have been held last week. Um, and um, the Minister is clear, and I've been engaging with the Minister on this, that uh, with, the, with the Chief Whip uh, and the Attorney General uh, working with Department of Health officials that we would have uh, the amendments for report stage uh, by the 7th of December, so that we could get a progress that week. Thank you, Taoiseach. Deputy Patrick. Right, that's uh, the Taoiseach Micheál Martin in the doll yesterday. He's saying that the amendments will be in place by the 7th of December and uh, that the legislation can progress from there. Are you happy to hear that, Rosie? Um, I'd be incredibly happy to hear that the amendments that have been brought by various ministers um, who are listening to our concerns would be addressed and that we'd have a, a Patient Safety Act um, actioned and in place by December 7th. But I would, I would be concerned, and we were discussing it yesterday, that all of a sudden there's a willingness like this patient safety bill has been hanging around since 2019, I think. Mm. So this is 2022. And look, um, from I suppose it's where we in 221 and other people, other sectors of the community uh, and those concerned about patient care is that, you know, any state or government or health organisation that earnestly would suggest that it is caused to celebrate that it took the deaths now, let's not forget that. Took the deaths of people like Ruth Morrissey, Orla Church, Emma Fixahuna, Iron Teep, Julia O'Reilly, and, you know, Lindsay Bennett, and most recently, Vicky Phelan. And it's Vicky Phelan's own candour, willingness to question, and as I said last week, willingness to do, that dragged cervical check, kicking and screaming, and indeed, I hasten to add, you know, the various departments um, from what I would call a barbaric situation that became highlighted in 2018 on the um, steps of a high court. And you've every reason to use those words and to, to feel that way because uh, you weren't told uh, 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 that uh, your slides had been misread when it was discovered that they were misread, like uh, the long list of women uh, who you've named there who have since left us. Uh, but tell me uh, about your care now. I think it's true to say, Rosie, that you continue to be cancer-free, uh, yeah. but you're a member of the 221 Plus group uh, and... You're uh, suggesting uh, that you're not getting the care that you would be entitled to if you weren't a member of the 221 Plus, that some doors of some specialists have been closed to you, uh, and you say that some doctors are in an awful hurry to get rid of you because you're in 221 Plus. Yes, that is the general feeling that a lot of us women have within 221. Like, um, you go from being told... Um, that you're you're going to be screened and come into a clinic um, with it for the next ten years, and you go from one appointment to the next with no prior warning to be told adios goodbye, and not an adequate um, explanation of why. Just your cancer clear, but that's that's not boosting confidence. And 
you know, this is about we're, we're celebrating that um, we can have confidence in a cervical check screening program. Well, uh, hmm. you have to wonder if these organisations, you know, and the care, the consultants, and it's, there's only some, I think, 17, I may have the number wrong, gynae oncologists with, with that speciality in our country. So it's a small community. And I'm sure, like, any um, workers, we all talk. But we can't help but feel that it is actually a barrier being a member of 221 and it's a challenge to receive adequate care and reassurance that you're cancer-free. Like, we're not demanding to have scans, you know, unless we are heightened for some reasons, that we have symptoms, that there's new pains. All we want is to be reassured and be provided with support, And that support means having a consultant who you trust, who will be honest and open and will discharge it only through proper engagement with you, recognising you as the centre of needing the care, the reassurance and that you are cancer-free. Not this thing of, well, you're five years cancer-free, so therefore you can go. There has to be a good reason that Uh, you can be discharged. uh, At least one woman feels like she was treated uh, completely the opposite. Dr Mm -hmm. Scally spoke uh, about one of the members of the group saying that she felt that she was being treated like a leper and simply because she's a member of the 221 Plus group. Did you ever feel like that? I did feel that um, I went from one appointment to the next, you know, and there's a year apart and I'm delighted to be cancer-free, to be told that that was it, I was going. I didn't need, I I wasn't having a repeat scan to make sure that I was clear and that everything else was okay. Because there are other um, complex matters that are involved in the care of cancer patients, uh, cervical cancer. It's your whole pelvic area. You may have experienced extensive surgery, radiation and chemo. And they have their own damage as well. And then there's the long after effect of your bone health, of um, muscle health, of all that gynae health. And when you have your ovaries removed from this type of surgery. It is not a walk in the park. You have now quality life impacted. You're full of dysfunctions and we do need support. But it's not support um, that is general. It has to be specialised and specific to the treatment you've received. So the people in the best position to highlight the issues and to get other specialities are those very same consultants who have provided and done the treatments, the surgery, have um, your radiographers and your chemo-oncologists as well. So they're in a, in a prime position to assist women know how to live a full life. Mm. Rosie, can I ask you to conclude um, how you feel about cervical check now? Uh, would you endorse it for other people listening? Of course, of course, we, we, we need a service that, um, and the service is not just the, the, 
you know, the cervical check screening. We need, you're a good practice nurse because I do always feel that it was my practice nurse who viewed my cervix and went, oh, hang on here. So this is, we need um, highly trained professionals in every area, like in your your practice surgeries. You need a good practice nurse. You need a good colposcopy service. You need to be heard. And I think, like I said last week, being heard is central. And as Gabriel Scali has highlighted, the perspective and view and experience of the patient needs to be heard. So you need to have patient representatives on all these committees and boards. Rosie, thank you very much uh, for joining us once again. It's very much appreciated uh, and always good to talk to you and very glad to hear that you're cancer free as well. And I'd just like to say one more thing. We have to, uh, like Vicky has done incredible work and I will highlight again, Vicky wanted action, change and accountability. Mm. That has not gone away. Yeah, and we're about to talk about more of the action that Vicky Phelan asked for in a, a moment uh, when we discuss uh, the assisted dying bill. But Rosie, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's Rosie Condra, campaigner with uh, the 221 Plus Group. Now, very much in line with uh, that report from uh, Dr. Gabriel Scali and indeed uh, the issues uh, that were raised uh, by the late uh, Vicky Phelan. Vicky died just last week, uh, but uh, she was denied a choice in deciding the way that she would die. A year and a half ago, the Justice Committee recommended a special committee on the issue of assisted dying. Now, to my knowledge, there is no impediment why that committee cannot be established. And can you give a commitment to the many people who have been following this issue that the committee would be established before Christmas? Because it's gone on too far too long, uh, Taoiseach, and I think we need to have a national discussion about this issue. That's people before Prophet TD, Gino Kenny speaking in the Dáil. The Dáil Reform Committee will hear a report at its next meeting, which I think is due next week. Uh, if they agree on that, uh, the committee, which has already been agreed in principle to be established, uh, can proceed as soon as is humanly possible. And that's the response from the Keown Corla. Sean O'Farrell, Gino Kenny is on uh, the line and uh, a very good morning to you, Gino, and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, As you say, this bill uh, has uh, been around for a a year and a half. Is it about to progress now? Well, I hope so, Michael. Um, I mean, it's two years since I put the legislation forward um, and a, a majority of TDs by 81 votes to 71 uh, you know, stated that it should progress. That doesn't mean it will, you know, be legislated for, but to progress and to examine the issue around assisted dying. And since then, nothing really has happened. Uh, the Justice Committee um, made a recommendation a year and a half ago that a special committee should be set up to examine the full spectrum of the of the issue. Uh, but nothing has happened since then. Uh, but I think um, I think there will be. I'm confident there will be an announcement. Uh, next week in relation to the establishment of the Special Oireachtas Committee to look at this issue and hopefully it will begin um, be established before Christmas and then it will uh, you know, it'll have a public it'll be open to the public then in the new year. So yeah. it'll probably run for nine months and as I said from the outset it will examine the issue uh, of assisted dying um, I suppose from those that are opposed to it those that are uh, supportive of it and there's probably a lot of people in between uh, but you know opinion polls 
have stated that three quarters of the population in this state would support changing the law around the fifth of time. And as frustratingly slow as all of uh, this yeah. is occurring, uh, it is at a, a minimum what Vicky Phelan would have wanted. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think you got pretty close to Vicky Phelan as a, a result of your work on this bill and her interest in it. Yeah, and um, it's hard to believe we're talking about the late Vicky Phelan. Um, it's just hard to believe that she's she's passed away. And, you know, if anybody's seen the documentary last night, it's an amazing how a much of a, a beautiful person she was and continues to be. And uh, I know Vicky at the time, we talked a lot about this issue a number of years ago, and it was very, very dear to her heart. And, you know, she said, you know, if there's a situation that she's not here, is that, you know, those that support this issue would continue uh, this kind of plea or this kind of campaign. So I said to Vicky and others that, you know, would continue this uh, campaign to have a, you know, a very grown-up debate about uh, the issue around sister dying. So I'm, I'm, mm. I'm, 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 I'm committed to that commitment. Uh, okay, to, uh, as, as you say, some people struggle with uh, the idea. Uh, maybe you uh, can make the argument for assisted dying uh, as perhaps Vicky Phelan would have made it. And the reason I ask you that is that I think everybody in the country knows Vicky Phelan, but we only got to know her after she had received mm-hmm. a terminal diagnosis. With a terminal diagnosis, Vicky Phelan seemed to be full of life, more so than most of us, uh, and indeed uh, cherished life uh, and her family and her children and and so on. Uh, And many people will find it hard to understand why she would choose to die prematurely if that was what she was going to choose to do. Yeah, I know. Or would want to have that choice. I don't want to speak for No, I think it's about choice, Michael. Mm. And this is not just about Vicky, this is about others. Yeah. that are in that situation. And the vast majority of people will never, ever choose assisted dying under any circumstances, even though they have a terminal illness. But there are those that, you know, will want a choice. And some people that will have that choice still will not avail of assisted dying. But I think it's about choice and it's about kind of, um, you know, foregoing a certain period of your life that you don't want to go through. And I think that's a fundamental right an absolute fundamental right. If somebody does not want to go through a, a, a difficult end to their life, could be weeks, it could be months, they have every right, absolutely every right to say, look, I don't want to go through this. I want to say, you know, I want to end this at my own time, uh, legally and medically, uh, under uh, you know, supervision, and with my kind of consent of myself, obviously the most important thing, and your friends. I really see a huge problem with that. My, um, I really don't. You know, um, and it's not going to be a situation where everybody is going to be saying, look, at, you know, we want to avail this. It's not the ca- that's not mm-hmm. the case. That's not the case. And it's for quite the safeguards in place. Uh, it's very restrictive. To, you know, it's obviously those that are coming to the end of their life for a terminus. Um, but people should have a choice. And in certain circumstances, I can understand why, you know, it gives people, I suppose, um, reassurance that if this is available to them, they can avail of it, you know? Mm. And I said, a lot of people will never avail of it under any circumstances, regardless of how the situation is. Okay. And But I think people that want to avail of it should be able to avail of it. And hopefully that can be teased out over, you know, during the yeah. Special Rockets Committee. Because, it's, Michael, it's a very, very complicated issue, you know? Of course. And yeah. even yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, as a person that are fully support assistance, uh, I can understand why people would have concerns. I understand that. I understand 
why somebody would be opposed to it, right, for all sorts of reasons. I fully respect that, fully respect that. But what I respect is that somebody that has a terminal illness that's come to the end of life will want to avail at this. And I think if in that situation, they should have a choice. Gino, thanks for joining us uh, this morning. Gino Kenny, People Before Profit TD for Dublin Midwest. Call Michael now. 041 983 2000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. To the latest survey on income and living conditions on enforced deprivation. In other words, for 2022, there's almost 900,000 people who are forced to go without in this country. And I've been hearing more about this survey from Suzanne Rogers, who's research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. These figures are pretty staggering, aren't they, Suzanne? They, they really are. And I think what we have to remember, if we go back to what the deprivation figures are about. So enforced deprivation is people who cannot afford two or more items on a list of 11 things. Now, poverty is different everywhere you go across the world. So in Ireland, it's looking like things that you have to go without heating, that you're unable to afford two pairs of strong shoes at the same time, unable to afford a warm waterproof coat. Like These are the things that are important to us it's absolutely lashing out here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. You need you need your warm waterproof coat. These are things that are important to yeah. us on this island. Well, you need so, a, you need a roof over your head, obviously, and the cost of accommodation is one of the areas in which people are struggling. Let's hear a little bit more about that, Suzanne, because Eva O'Regan is a statistician in the Income, Wealth and Consumption Division of the CSO and has some more of uh, these figures. Around 30% of households consider housing costs to be a heavy financial burden, up from 23% in 2021. I mean, half of all households reported struggling with housing costs. Like, that's wild. Absolutely. Like, half. So if you get a bus into town now or you pass by a bus stop, half the people at that bus stop, half the people on the bus are struggling, as you said, just to put the roof over their head, never mind anything else. Mm. So like that is that that is really, really, really stark. And I keep going back to the fact that depending on the room that you're in, depending on the conversations that you're in, we are a wealthy country. We're operating on a budget surplus. Um, we are due to, you know, we had OECD predictions there last week on a recession Ireland's due to weather that out hopefully better than our European counterparts and then two days later you have this survey on enforced deprivation that says well actually not everybody's doing well here you know Mm. if we're all in the same boat there's sharks circling the boat you know it's it's quite stark and I I take it uh, that some people appear to be doing better than they are in reality it's quite disturbing to see the amount of people who have not managed to make their rent every month let's hear once again a little bit more information about this from Eva from the Central Statistics Office over 13% of rent paying households reported that in the last 12 months there was at least one occasion when they did not pay their rent on time due to financial difficulties, down from 16% in 2021. I mean, that has been an ongoing issue, I suppose, for a cohort of the, you know, the country for a long time. And again, what we're seeing is just the numbers are increasing, the numbers are increasing. And again, this week, this week's been really, really, really busy for, for information and data. We had another DAFT report and certain parts of Dublin 
2,400 to rent certain parts of the country up over 1,000. You know, because you kind of, you were always used to thinking once you got out from the urban centres that rent was cheap. And that isn't the case. It's the lowest number of available properties as well. So mm. it, it's it's getting harder and harder for people just to make ends meet. The inflation figures this year have really bitten into what your 10 euro will buy you is less than it was last year. So if you're on that fixed income as well, if you're on a low income or a fixed income, you're simply able to buy less. You're simply able to, you know, you're you're looking at taking fewer showers, you're looking at putting the heat on less. But I mean, the the, the figures for children, again, is quite stark. You've got almost 250,000 children in Ireland are experiencing deprivation. That's an increase of almost 45,000 since 2021. And childhood poverty damages you for your entire life. And it's not just people renting who are finding it difficult. Mortgage holders aren't always making their monthly repayments. Let's hear once again a little bit more information about this from Eva from the Central Statistics Office. Of owner-occupied households with an outstanding mortgage, almost 3% reported that on at least one occasion they did not pay their mortgage on time due to financial difficulties down from 5% in 2021. No, and again, you've still got a massive cohort, thousands and thousands of mortgage holders who are struggling from 2008, 2009 onwards. So if you look at the central bank mortgage arrears figures, the cohort that have been in mortgage arrears for 10 years or more, it, it the mortgage arrears figures are coming down overall, but that cohort is going up ever so slightly. So again, it's showing you that anybody who hasn't been able to cope in the past um, things are not getting any easier for them. And imagine living with 10 or 12 years of that hanging over your head. Mm. The, the health implications of that are, are, are wild. I mean, that, that does real damage to yeah. you. And again, we don't know, you know, we, we on the surface, we seem to have bounced back from COVID really well. We are at peak employment. We have, um, you know, we, we've, a, we've a growing population. People seem to be going back to work. But again, when you look at the figures, you can see, well, the amount of people who are working and and are still living in poverty. Mm. So a phrase like working poor shouldn't make any sense. Yeah, and if you're rubbing pennies together like that, uh, I suppose something has to give. Uh, And if uh, you don't pay your rent or you don't pay your mortgage, uh, there is uh, the risk of uh, eviction, losing your house uh, as such. Uh, But uh, if people decide then they're going to pay for their accommodation, something has to give if they haven't got the money for everything. Uh, And uh, there's quite a a lot of people who who can't pay their utility bills. Let's hear once again a little bit more information about this from Eva from the Central Statistics Office. Around 9% of households reported that in the last 12 months there was at least one occasion when they did not pay their utility bills on time due to financial difficulties. This is up from 7% in 2021. That's it. I mean, that's exactly it. You're looking at, when you go online or if you look at any kind of budgeting tool or any money management tool, it'll tell you, write down everything you're spending and then it'll say things like, wow, you'll be so surprised at the amount of caramel macchiatos you're drinking. You know, okay. this isn't the conversation. <laughs> Whatever we're that is, all right. You know, this yeah. is it, like, you know, but banana triple shots. Mm. Um, you're exactly right. You're having to make decisions between two essentials. So the roof over your head, food on the table, your heat bill, your light bill, statutory things that are going to land mm. you in trouble. So things like your TV license, your bin tags, yeah. like they're the key things. And if you're having to juggle between those, 
that's really it's impossible it's actually yeah. it's, not, it's not difficult it's actually impossible well then you get um, to a stage don't you of what they call enforced deprivation uh, where you make terrible decisions you decide not to turn on your heat for example again a little bit more information about this from Eva from the Central Statistics Office 17% of people are experiencing enforced deprivation up from almost 14% in 2021 In 2022, over 7% of people are living in households unable to afford to keep the house adequately warm. This is up from 3% in 2021. That's it. And and again, I was at something recently and somebody from, I think, the Department of Health had said what they're seeing is an increased rate of frailty amongst their older patients. So people who are arriving at hospitals and frailty is a key issue. So people who are older and, you know, otherwise, you know, should be relatively healthy. But that frailty issue is a big thing. And again, that means care that you may not, had you been able to maybe eat better, heat your home better, had access to, you know, green spaces, safe green spaces, public transport, all of that, that you may have been less frail. So all of these things add up, they're all connected. And if you have to sit, again, you know, our housing stock is old. Once you get out from the urban centres and into the, the, you know, the self-builds, my, you know, my grandparents lived in one of them, you know, the congested district board houses on the on the West Coast. I mean, they're old houses. They are, I mean, the walls are about six foot thick, but my God, they don't keep the heat in. Um, you know, things like that, that it, it all adds up. And again, it's a wealthy country. How come people can't keep the roof over their head, put food on the table, put the hot shower on, top up your phone and put the heat on? Like they should be, we should be able to provide for the basics. It's as simple as that. Well, that is pretty simple, isn't it? We leave there, though, for the moment. Thank you indeed, Suzanne Rogers, Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. The statistics were given to us by Eva O'Regan, who's a statistician in the Income, Wealth and Consumption Division. The Michael Reid Show, brought to you by Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Now to an issue that was discussed on this programme on Tuesday that was raised in the Dáil yesterday. Taoiseach, uh, just following up on the uh, savage attack on the two guards in um, Ballyfermot the other night, uh, over the last couple of years, uh, between trainee guardy and qualified guards, uh, over 400 have quit the force. Uh, Taoiseach, why is this? And why, Taoiseach, is is there over 300 fewer guards in the force now compared to two years ago? The Garda Representative Association President Brendan O'Connor was on LMFM radio yesterday morning. He spoke of a lack of resources, support from his peers and lack of support from the Minister for Justice. Why is this, uh, Taoiseach? In my own county of Mead, Taoiseach, we have one guard per 650 people. In other counties, we have one guard per 332. Why is it, Taoiseach, that we have doubled that? And why is this not being addressed? Sinn Féin TD for Mead West, Johnny Gurk, was putting those points to the Taoiseach, Michal Martin. In terms of Deputy Gurk, you know, I've, I've long consistently, right throughout my political career, condemned the murder of Gardaí, assaults on Gardaí, uh, and I've been very consistent about that, uh, and I condemn unreservedly what happened um, um, last week. And we are increasing guarded numbers. I don't know where you get your figures from in the sense that there's currently 14,318 guarded numbers across the country. That's an increase of almost 12% uh, since 2015. Um, and we, we were committed to delivering uh, 15,000, and we've activated the training and so on like that. Um, so, so we're very consistent uh, in terms of wanting to improve 
in the numbers. That's the Taoiseach Michal Martin. Now, 41 refugees are being housed in the Carlingford Adventure Centre. They moved into the centre on Tuesday of this week, but yesterday the 41 refugees were confronted by an angry man who walked into their new place of residence yesterday uninvited. You should be ashamed of yourself doing this. You're going to destroy this village. No women and children at all. Disgraceful. Disgraceful. Right, that's uh, just part of a, a clip from a video that's going around. As I say, that angry man walked into uh, the Carlingford Adventure Centre uh, to give out to refugees uh, who will be living there until March under the contract uh, that the centre has for providing accommodation. Let's speak uh, to local Sinn Féin councillor Anton Waters, who's on the line. Good morning, Anton. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. Uh, do you think that that man is representative of people in Carlingford? Morning, Michael, and uh, thanks for having me on. I'm sorry for the bit of a croaky voice. I just woke up this morning with it. Um, look, I've been looking into this since yesterday, Michael. Um, I was made aware of it yesterday evening when I was attending the Lade Tidy Towns Awards in the fairways. Um, we were celebrating some of the residents' associations and Tidy Towns groups around the county, and um, I started to receive calls and texts in relation to it. Um, I left the fairways at about 10 o'clock, and I, I, I went to make contact with the management at County for the Venture Centre. So they have informed me that um, there's 60 residents uh, that they are housing at the minute in Carnyford. There's 30 women and children and 30 men is what they have told me last night. Um, what I've been informed is that some of them have been moved from army barracks is where they were sleeping in tents and that they're planned to be in the village until the end of February. Um, so coinciding with what you're mm. saying until the end of the start of March. Uh, am I right in thinking that there's 41 men in, in the centre and that there's families then across the road in houses? Yeah, from what I understand, mm. Michael, um, there's some of the families have been here already and some of them are already attending the local mm. national schools. Um, and the men, from what I understand, uh, arrived yesterday. Yeah. And as you've seen, as you mentioned in the video, and what I believe is they're here as a state of February and some of them mm. came from army barracks um, so look what I've been trying to do since then is look obviously I, I had no prior knowledge of this so um, a lot of people have been contacting me and I've been trying to find out um, what is actually the situation and what's happening with it um, and at the minute that's really where I am we've written to Well you have more information than the man who walked in off the street who seems to think that there were an awful lot more people being housed uh, in the centre than is actually the case I, I'd have thought that uh, given what we're watching on our, our televisions every day at this stage and uh, the atrocities uh, that are, are Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss taking place in front of our, our very eyes every day, that people would have welcomed refugees into Carlingford? Because we're talking about a very small amount of people. Yeah, look, it, it's just confirming the numbers. I think the, the issue is there's 200 beds that might be available in this uh, accommodation. And I think that's where the issue's coming, that people think there's 200 people. But as far as I'm aware, uh, it's 60 people is what I've been told by management of Carlingford Adventure Centre. And um, I'm trying to, look, as I say, I'm trying to get that, all that confirmed. And myself and Rory O'Murray, the TD, have made contact with Roderick O'Gorman. And we've written to him. And I've also been speaking to the local Gardaí um, where we're trying to find out um, what the plans are and what's going to happen. I think really the issue, Michael, is the lack of communication. Like uh, Me as an elected rep representing the people in this area, I had no prior knowledge of it and the community had no uh, prior knowledge of it. So they didn't know what was happening. And then it all kind of started to spiral where... Like, as you're saying, a lot of people were texting me saying there's 200 people there. Like, I didn't know whether that was true or not. As I say, since then, I found out uh, the numbers. And this is obviously an ongoing issue, which has been uh, happening all over the country. And I know I was listening to Morning Ireland this morning, listening to the minister, Roderick O'Gorman, saying that he's made a call for more unoccupied buildings to Mm. be put forward for for additional housing of... uh, these um, people are seeking asylum or like I'm not sure where the people are from I believe some of them are from the Ukraine but again I can't confirm that that's what I've been told Um, but at the minute I think it's really the need for communication look we're coming up to Christmas and I'm sure these people would rather be in their own homes I I don't know where they're fleeing but um, I wouldn't like to be fleeing my own home with the wife and children uh, to a different country so I'm just wondering yeah I don't know if you saw uh, some of uh, the atrocities, uh, and I think we find it easier to understand individual uh, atrocities rather than uh, hearing about thousands of people uh, being struck down and that sort of thing. But a a 17-year-old girl was killed yesterday, uh, a completely innocent girl. Uh, And that's before we start to think about a newborn uh, uh, who was a day old uh, and died after the maternity board uh, was struck by a Russian missile. Uh, somebody uh, who hadn't lived long enough to see the world, yeah. hadn't left the hospital. Horrific, yeah. Absolutely I, horrific. horrific uh, yeah. And, and, and with the onset of Christmas, you would imagine that people's Christian values would be such that they would be saying, isn't it great or wouldn't it be great if we could provide sanctuary for 200 people who are fleeing from that sort of a situation? Look, I fully agree with what you're saying, Michael, in relation to the atrocities that have happened. I know a local man from Omit, I think you've been speaking to him, Brendan Murphy, travelled the whole way from Kiev in a car with his, with his wife, um, her mother, her elderly mother. They travelled the whole way tr- from Kiev to Dublin, back to Omit, 
um, where uh, unfortunately their house and all was destroyed in Kiev. So, like, there's an ex- a local example uh, of Brendan. I know Brendan well, and I know yeah. all he went through to get home. Oh, uh, incredible journey, yeah. Incredible yeah. journey. Yeah. And the, look, the way I look at it, Michael, is uh, I just think we need to have better dialogue and communication because what's happening is, there, like, there's fear spreading when you think of 200 people, which obviously, as far as I'm aware, isn't the case. Mm. And as you say, yes, coming up to Christmas, I, I, it, like, I just think people need to, like, we need to get more information. How long are they going to be there? Will they confirm that it is until February? Like, yeah. your information seems to be telling them at mine that it's uh, to the end of February. And um, what is the plan for these people after that? So that's what I'm going to seek along with Ruri. We're going to work to try. I'll be um, speaking to locals as well. I'll be in Carningford later on today when I finish work to talk to them to yeah. see what we can do on the ground to try and help. At the end of the day, Michael, I've been on enough times. I'm here to, to represent the people at Dundalk Carningford. I love doing it. Um, and that's what we're here to do and at the end of the day um, the more information we can get and the more informed people will be about it mm. the better everybody will be because what, what's happening is the, the misinformation is what's created. Yeah, and there is a problem with the information and uh, we've seen the same thing in the East Wall and when there is that vacuum it's being filled uh, with um, some false information the type of information uh, that people would have heard if uh, they saw all of that video as I say we just played a a clip from it Uh, but there are these claims that there's hundreds of people in and uh, the type of information that uh, was being given to people in East Wall for example came from some very sinister elements Uh, and there are uh, people out there who are seeing this vacuum of information as an opportunity to spread venom uh, and hatred uh, and uh, they're using it for their own purposes which is to promote their fascist racist groups that they've been involved in for many years Uh, and I I think if for no other reason that's the reason for getting information out there so that people aren't being fed this tripe that is coming from some people yeah look we're all better informed when we have all the information obviously and look speaking about some of the stuff that's happening locally I know myself um, like there's a lot of families who have taken f- uh, Ukrainian families in and are helping them integrate into the local schools, the secondary schools. Um, that's all happening. I know people who are donating toys, like helping mm. taking lifts to schools. This is all part of um, trying to help these people uh, fit into our community. And, and the government is appealing again, reappealing to people uh, again today to take people into their homes. Uh, they say that the system is far more streamlined now because you'll be making your application through the county council and that will respond to you. And if you take a, a Ukrainian refugee into your home, uh, there's a payment of €800 Euro per month and that's tax-free as well. It's a lot of money for people. A lot of money, yeah. And I, look, I know from some families I have been speaking to over the last couple of months who have made their, their homes available and made an effort for it, they, they needed to streamline the, the system because it, there was huge delays in it and people um, weren't been informed of what was happening, where the application was. And look, that has to be welcomed if it's going to make it a wee bit easier to try and, and deal with this. But again, going back to the, the main overall point on the whole thing is it's communications key. Um, mm. The lack of communication is what's causing these issues. And uh, look, I feel for, for people in the community, I live in the community, mm. um, like it's, it's giving us the information, letting us know yeah. um, what's happening, Michael. And, and well, the, you, you have new member, you have new members of the community now, uh, and uh, certainly new members uh, who moved into the Adventure Centre on Tuesday. Uh, I felt for them yesterday. Uh, I think that must have been a very threatening situation for them. Oh, it had to be scary, Michael. Like I'm sure not many of them have English. Uh, it, there's probably a language barrier there as well that has to be uh, overcome, and that's going to be difficult for everybody involved. And um, 
but like they're, you're going to a place I doubt any of them came to visit Carlingford before you know so mm. look here it is now where you're coming to a village a rural village in the middle of uh, North East Ireland where they've never been before and look as I say if, if the information had been brought out beforehand some of this could have been avoided Okay uh, they've some wonderful sights uh, when they open the door as well, Anton. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that the vast majority of people in the community will welcome them as new residents. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's local Sinn Féin councillor Anton Waters. 086-1800-658 The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Now, just some comments coming to us uh, this morning. Uh, we'd call in Mornington uh, about uh, that angry man uh, going into the Adventure Centre in Carlingford uh, to tell people fleeing uh, from different situations around the world looking for sanctuary refugees uh, that they were going to destroy Carlingford uh, Cole said that angry man sounded like he had a Dublin accent I suppose you could argue that he's a refugee in Carlingford a sort of paradox to be giving out about outsiders well said Cole thank you indeed Jimmy in touch with us uh, after our conversation with Rosie Condra uh, nurse in the Lord's Hospital but a member of the 221 group talking about the Scally report and Jimmy says Rosie is a fully qualified nurse the people who are running the hospital are not qualified the Minister for Health is not qualified I take it he means that they're not medics and that the policy Jimmy says is get them in and out as quickly as possible and it seems to Jimmy that people come out sicker than they actually went in uh, another text uh, from somebody who says watching Vicky last night would break your heart that programme that was on TV uh, why were the uh, screening uh, the, the screens uh, outsourced uh, the um, cervical check screens outsourced uh, and that we all should be ashamed thank you Ellen for that and Deirdre in touch saying uh, that Vicky feeling was brilliant stood up for the woman, women of Ireland uh, she shouldn't have been dragged through the courts thank you as well Deirdre thanks to everybody who's been in touch our telephone number is 0419832000 text or WhatsApp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie if you were listening to the programme yesterday uh, you may have spent some time as I did thinking about John Evans we heard uh, about John Evans terrible situation because Peter Fitzpatrick raised his situation in the doll with uh, the Minister for Health Peter Fitzpatrick is on the line a very good morning to you Peter and thanks uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning the Minister was to get back to you with uh, an update but for people who weren't listening uh, just remind us about the situation that John Evans is in he, he, he had a, a kidney transplant and ended up with dry gangrene and had some of his fingers amputated. Michael, uh, a couple of weeks ago there, Michael, uh, John Evans and his wife came into my constituency office. Uh, John was pushed into the office on a wheelchair by his wife. Uh, she was in a, a terrible state. Uh, they had a couple of uh, appointments in the Bowman Hospital cancelled. Uh, back in, uh, in, in 2018, John had a kidney transplant. He had his leg amputated in 2020. He's now waiting and waiting for months to have a look at his fingers, and uh, uh, gangrene has moved into in, in, into his hands and everything else, and he has to get a few of his fingers removed. And in fairness, uh, nothing seems to be happening. And, and in fairness, he was up to Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in, in, in a couple of occasions, 
even last weekend he went up to a Dublin hospital in A&E and uh, the, the, the base he just turned away like and, uh, the demands the, the in, in a serious position now in fairness about two weeks ago uh, I, contacted, uh, I contacted Stephen Donnelly the Minister mm. and uh, he, got, he, got, he got his appointment there for, for last week the week before and all of a sudden John got confirmation again from the board mind that was cancelled and then cancelled again so uh, his wife con- con- contacted me again on Tuesday morning and says, Peter, what's going on here? Mm. So I, I had an opportunity in the door on, on Tuesday to raise it again with Stephen Donnelly. And in fairness to Stephen Donnelly, he said, Peter, I'm fully aware because when, when we when, go back a couple of weeks ago, I actually gave him a photograph of John Tans and his legs and everything else there at the moment. Yeah. He, and I met Stephen Donnelly there again last night and he's told me that he is personally looking into it and he's given me a commitment that we'll be back with me sometime this morning. Mm. But the situation is getting worse now because... I was talking to John now, the woman and his wife. Now, there's, 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 there's a possibility that John might have to get his, his other leg amputated. So the situation at the moment is, this, this family is in dire straits at the moment. Mm. And, and they really, really are looking for help. And, and, and uh, it's not a blame game. As I said to Stephen Donnie yeah. there last night, like, you know, I, I, said, I told him I was going on my local radio station this morning. I said I was going to give an update. But I did say to him that it's it, it, just not a person. The, the situation is, uh, John Evans needs help and he needs help now the mm. man is in serious pain now what's happening now at the moment is uh, what kind of age group is he? he's in his early 70s right okay not, not, not that it makes much difference it's a, a dreadful thing to have happened is it an unusual occurrence that you develop gangrene like that? well Michael this man has been very very active all his life this man was involved in sports involved in horse riding and everything else at the moment in the air it, it just it just seemed it just seemed to come like I'd say Michael the fact that John is a diabetic this uh, wouldn't have helped John you know what I mean like but mm-hmm. the situation was is over the last number of years especially since he got the transplant done in 2018 it's, this man this, this man was, was a super fit man you know what I mean like, and, uh, it, it, it's not nice when you see a man in his 70s and his wife there beside each other and all they're basically doing are, are looking for help and help and help now in fairness what's, what's happening now at the moment is that uh, uh, John is going to the Bowman next Tuesday to meet Dr. O'Sullivan, but it's only only to be seen. Like John, John's situation at the moment is John needs to see a surgeon and John needs to get these fingers amputated because it, it, it doesn't do it getting worse. Now, when I spoke to John yesterday, Michael, I couldn't understand one word that John was saying yesterday. He was totally drugged and in fairness to his wife, Sandra, at the moment is, like, you know, I, I don't know how she, how she keeps going at the moment is. So, Minister Donnelly has told me again last night that personally that he's looking at this here at the moment is, he realised how serious it is. I'm not looking for any any extra uh, uh, things for, for John. John is, is entitled to be looked after in, in the system, and he's not being looked after in the system. It really is appalling uh, the situation that he is in. It's really it must be dreadful for for John uh, and his wife uh, and all of his family. Anybody who knows him. Well, the, 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 the worst thing about it though is. Uh, when you start talking to people, they all start saying, oh, so the government gave 350 million last, last February towards the waiting list. They'll give another uh, 443 million next year in the budget and everything for the waiting list. But when you look at it, and I, 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 I sat down there last night and I studied the situation. Is like Ireland, Ireland, Ireland per head population is probably spending more money on the health service than any other country in, in Europe. And the, the, budget for, the budget for 2023 is 23.4 million. There's over 800 consultant modes to be filled. We have a shortage of beds. If you look back in 2008, we have more beds in 2008, and now we have over 500,000 people more, 12% more people in, in the country. 
and if we look at it, we look at what surgical uh, tables limited, and I, I even mm. looked at there. We've we've over a million people at the moment on the hospital waiting list. Sure. And no, and on top of that, there's over two hundred thousand in a separate waiting list looking for scans. And, and there's, there's something mm. really, really wrong here. Because and just can I ask you, Peter? I, I mean, he has to get the, the 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 rest of his fingers cut off. Would that leave him with no fingers? Uh, and if he gets uh, these um, fingers uh, amputated now, you've said he's already had some fingers amputated. If he gets the yeah. others amputated, uh, is there a chance he'll save the leg? Uh, no, Michael. Uh, in fairness, well, he, he went to see a specialist there about a month or two ago with the other leg, and the specialist they actually do want to take the leg off. But right. John, you know, like so that would be both you, legs, I, I, and that I, I, would be I, I, both I, I, legs and all his fingers from gangrene. And Michael, I don't, I don't accept. Because I, I, in fairness, oh, I, I, yeah. I, the wife Sandy gave me the permission to speak yeah. to the radio station yeah. this morning. Because yeah. I will be honest, Michael, normally I, I would keep these things to be fair and try to work with family yeah. now they are. Yeah. But John, I at the moment is John's in a very, very bad place at the yeah. moment is, and there's evil thoughts going through John's mind at the moment. Yeah. I right? yeah. yeah. And the wife and the family are very, very concerned about him. Sadie, is it Peter? Sorry? The wife's name is Sadie, is it? No, no, Sandra. Sandra, okay. Yeah. Uh, can I just say to Sandra, as you say, Sandra is listening, can I just say to Sandra that our only motivation is uh, to give this the publicity uh, that might result in John Evans getting the help that he so very much needs. That's the only reason we're doing it, uh, and I hope uh, uh, that it results in that. Uh, and uh, I know, Sandra, that you would prefer if we didn't know about it, let alone talking about it on the radio like this, but unfortunately that seems to be the situation that Peter thinks is appropriate, uh, and hopefully that will be the result, Peter. Thank you, Michael. Okay. I want to talk to you about housing as well. Um, there was uh, a debate uh, in the Dáil ahead of the Raise the Roof rally, which will take place on Saturday. Uh, and uh, the Sinn Féin motion was uh, asking uh, the Oireachtas to recognise the crisis as an emergency. You had uh, some solutions uh, that the government uh, could look at, uh, in particular to do with modular housing. Like every time I, I speak, and the government's always asking solutions. I don't think I ever spoke in the dog, Michael, and not get solutions. Uh, we we have a local uh, developer in the dog that has planning permission for over 500 houses, and he's willing to uh, use maybe 150 to 200 of these houses for modular housing. So what I done was I, I uh, uh, he, and he wants help. So about a couple of weeks ago, there I I contacted uh, Dower Bain and I met up with the department, and he's very very keen. And I spoke to the Dáil now about, about the situation. So Dáil O'Brien has agreed to come to the Dáil in, 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 the, in, the, in the 7th of December to meet up with the developer and to meet up with the manufacturer of modular. We, we, we have a credit in, in Laird that actually manufactures uh, these modular homes. So I'm hoping it'll be a win-win for all. Michael, there's not a day, and I, I'm sure every TD, every centre at the moment is, there's not a day that people who come into this constituency office look up a home. It's impossible to find a rented accommodation. It's, it's, it's nearly impossible to buy a house at the moment is because house prices are so that high at the moment is that even people in two wages just, 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 they just can't afford to buy the houses. So uh, p- people want the impression that these modular homes are only for Ukraines. But I'm telling you, Michael, we have people in the dark, and I'm sure all on part of them that are in the council list over 10 years. And they've, they've come into me over the last number of months and asked the question about modular homes. So I went and I, I saw it, I, the developer and I, I talked to him and he, he was delighted to go there. But the situation is uh, more and more, if you look at the, the type of houses that's coming up at the moment for council houses and social houses, it's nearly all apartments. And there's an awful lot of families out there that, that you know, don't really like the environment of having an apartment. The simple reason is you have no front garden, you have no back garden. 
And I, I went and I looked at these three and four bed modular homes. So absolutely fantastic, Mike. Even myself, I have no problem with it. So, so what I want you to do at the moment is we have an opportunity here at the moment is uh, of maybe getting 150 or 200 modular houses built in the dock. Uh, the developer already has full plan admission for uh, for these uh, houses. Uh, they're, close, they're, they're close to all the communities, that the schools, shops, there's, there's everything in, in the facility. And to me, it, it's a shovel-ready job. So the minimum is, it, Minnesota is going to come to the dock on the 7th of December. It's going to talk to the developer, talk to the manufacturer of the homes, and hopefully maybe it might get talked to the local authority to see the, the position but, but it can be fast-tracked to, to planning, even though the developer has the full television. Like, as far as I'm concerned, it's a, it's a, it's a win-win for everybody at the mm. moment. And I think, as I said, yeah, instead of getting on every time and open the door and giving out, this is the solution, and I, I do hope that Dan O'Brien and his department will, will look at it very, very serious. Yeah, and I, I think I'm right in saying that you'd get a thumbs up for that proposal from Father Peter McVerry uh, and others. Uh, Peter, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning and uh, do pass on our best wishes uh, to the Evans family and hopefully, uh, as you say, something would be done to save John Evans. Thanks to Independent TD for Loud and East Meath, Peter Fitzpatrick. Now, we'll add uh, that angry man who confronted uh, the 41 refugees who've just been housed in Carlingford to protests in Wicklow against refugees uh, and indeed uh, the protests uh, that have been getting a a lot of attention in East Wall uh, amongst others. Thankfully, uh, it's only a a minority of uh, people uh, who are rejecting the idea of refugees being housed in their communities. Across the last uh, last last nine months, the Irish public have shown shown huge solidarity uh, in terms of the response to the uh, to the, the war in Ukraine and indeed to other conflicts that are raging across the world and where uh, people are, are arriving in Ireland seeking uh, refuge from. Um, that the, the the state's response has been. Um, at all times supported by the response of communities and by the support and the work that communities have done to uh, to, to integrate uh, both Ukrainians and people from other countries locally. And we will look to continue to work with that, to continue to foster that, um, but also recognising that we are facing a humanitarian crisis like our country has never faced before. And that's been faced all across Europe. And that is creating pressures and it is creating strains. I remember even speaking at the door at the very start of this crisis saying the, the, the response couldn't always be perfect. And I absolutely recognise that. But we continue to provide very real shelter, safety and support to, um, to, to over 60,000 individuals right now. Uh, and again, uh, that's compa- contrasting with 7,500 people this time last year. So the scale of the challenge has, has grown exponentially uh, and, uh, and we will look to continue to work to provide uh, shelter and safety to those arriving here, seeking it irrespective of where they're from. That's the Minister for Integration, Roderick O'Gorman, speaking to an Oireachtas committee earlier in the week. Emma Lane Spollen, the National Coordinator of uh, the Ukraine Civil Society Forum joins us. A very good morning to Emma and thank you indeed uh, for taking the time to speak to us on the programme. Are are you sensing uh, a shift in attitude towards refugees, specifically Ukrainian refugees, from your perspective? I don't think we're actually seeing a significant shift. What I think we're seeing is on the fringes Um, some opportunists who are taking advantage of communities, natural, legitimate uh, 
uh, right to ask questions and for more information. I mean, communities don't like to feel in the dark and, you know, they may be hurting for many reasons and under pressure for loads of reasons in terms of systemic under-resourcing, etc. So, you know, when a significant thing happens like the arrival of refugees in their community, you know, that can serve as a lightning rod, you know, channeling unrest. Uh, and that can quickly be weaponized by the far right and others. And I think nobody wants that. People need to be able to raise their concerns in a safe space. And they need facts and not fear. Yeah, well, there's a, a lot of information, I think, that has been recognized in uh, the East Wall protests uh, in particular that has been driven by well-established right-wing fascist racist groups. Uh, and they're looking on this as a, an opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why we need to call it out and stamp it out. And we need to create space so that communities don't have those people coming in and and upsetting them. Uh, uh, People need to be able to speak to their councillors. They need to be able to speak freely. And we need to work through what the issues are and what the concerns are and the lay fears. Mm. Um, And that really has to be done constructively and not let people from outside of the community come in and hijack it and and fill, fill our streets with hate. Because shouting and intimidation solves nothing. You know, refugees didn't create the problems around housing or homelessness. And really, um, that's what people are upset about. Right. Uh, there's a report uh, that has been presented to government uh, that the Irish Times is reporting on today. It was compiled by former Secretary General of the European Commission, Catherine Day, and lecturer Lorcan Sir, a former ambassador to the United Nations, David Dunne, who was also part of uh, this report. And they're saying that while positive attitudes towards asylum, asylum seekers, I beg your pardon, asylum seekers and Ukrainian refugees uh, are, are uh, mainly uh, what people are feeling and refugees are being welcomed here. There are signs that this could change. Inevitably, if you uh, don't listen and look after your host community's concerns, if you don't engage with people properly, if you don't sense that there's leadership and a plan, naturally a vacuum is there which, you know, bad faith actors will move into. Um, I mean, Ireland's response to date has been extremely positive and I think it's really important, especially when you think about how uh, Putin is trying to use migration. You know, he's trying to destabilise Europe by sending lots of refugees into it and destabilise it. So this isn't even just about what's happening here. We're kind of, it's almost like a war front. They're bringing the war into us. And uh, I think most of us would feel you need to stand stand strong against Putin. He killed a newborn baby yesterday. He killed a seventeen. He killed a seventeen-year-old girl yesterday. Complete it is innocence. Unimaginable. I mean, I think mm. it is unimaginable for any of us, actually. And, mm. and so, it's really important to try and empathise with what people are going through in the Ukraine and anywhere else when there's war, war and persecution like this. It is just brutal. Yeah, he, he, brutal. he's he, he's bombing nuclear plants. Uh, if uh, that shelling is successful, and you've another Chernobyl. Uh, you'll kill a, 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 an awful lot of people uh, for miles around and those who survive will wish they were dead. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is the tragedy all around us. So it's not a question of whether we can or can't, it's we must. If you had said to us a year ago that we would take in fifty to 60,000 people in a year, we would have just said, no, it's not possible. But actually, it has been possible and we did step up and we did do it. So I, I kind of think we need to really have what they call a growth mindset. Mm. We can do this. You know, when you have to, you will. And I, and I believe we're going to need a bit of a national metal because um, this isn't going to be easy and it is going to be challenging. And the next six months are going to be particularly challenging. But we kind of need to reach out 
to each other and as communities. And and I have sense that maybe shifts are happening in government and they're recognising this. I mean, that's my hope from hearing Roger McCormick this morning, that there is a little bit of hope uh, there that the government will make a shift and, and, and listen to what communities have been calling for and, and have a plan and have more visible leadership and better communication. Yeah, and uh, it's not just the fear of a a nuclear plant being bombed and uh, the nuclear disaster that would ensue. Uh, Ukraine relies on nuclear plants to provide them with power. There's three nuclear plants uh, that have been shut down and there's real problems with power in in the country. Uh, And maybe if you bear with me for a moment, uh, we'll hear about some of the challenges that that's posing people locally from the World Health Organization. This winter will be life-threatening for millions of people in Ukraine. The devastating energy crisis, the deepening mental health emergency, Constraints on humanitarian access and the risk of viral infections will make this winter a formidable test for the Ukraine health system and the Ukraine people, but also for the world and its commitment to support Ukraine. The country is facing a thermocrisis on top of a permacrisis brought on by the war and the pandemic. Half of Ukraine's energy infrastructure is either damaged or destroyed. This is already having knock-on effects on the health system and on the people's health. Put simply, this winter will be about survival. About survival uh, and uh, that little one-day-old baby who uh, died in a maternity ward yesterday will not survive, has not survived uh, this war. Uh, But Hans Kluh there of the World Health Organization went on um, uh, to talk uh, about uh, the attacks on healthcare facilities. And it's not just that if you bomb a maternity ward, you kill babies. Uh, There's a lot of hospitals that have been hit. And he was making the point uh, as well that if you hit a hospital, uh, that hospital can't provide uh, intensive care to patients. So you've effectively killed them because there's no energy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, this is, uh, whatever uh, one thinks about war and the rules of war, they've all been thrown out. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no nice war. This is, this is absolutely to the death and every man, woman and child and old person is, is, is a victim and being, and being actively targeted here. I mean, that's the uh, appallingness of this. Um, Mm. And I don't think it's anything we have seen since probably the trenches in World War Two. Like it just, is unimaginable and therefore it really behooves us to remain cognizant of that and actually to pull ourselves together and actually while we have many crises and many challenges actually they they, they pale in comparison uh, to what's happening uh, in Ukraine. Mm. And it it brings us to the point if I could conclude on this uh, as well Emma that people will say uh, we can't take any more because you can't get to see a a doctor you can't get into a social welfare office uh, there isn't a hotel room in the country it'll destroy tourism and all of these other things that we've been hearing for some time Uh, but uh, you've got to balance those genuine concerns and they are genuine concerns uh, with the question can you leave people in that situation? Yeah and you know what? There's nothing like a bit of good planning and a bit of reorganisation, and we can actually step up and we can get resources into communities, whether it's health or education. And we have thousands of vacant properties in this country and many homes that can take in people. And I suppose it is a question of us actually getting our systems and planning in place to actually be able to take advantage 
of the offers that people have given in to 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 the government yeah. and turn this around. It's not going to be easy. There's no doubt about it. But actually, I think we can do it. Yeah, uh, and we'll just uh, reiterate uh, that message from government uh, this morning. They're reappealing to people to take in Ukrainian refugees. A lot of people have been concerning about the cost of living and making ends meet. Uh, if you take a Ukrainian refugee into your home, uh, you'll be paid €800 Euro a month and it is tax-free as well. It's a, a lot of money and could be attractive to a lot of people listening to us this morning. Emma, thank you indeed for joining us. Thank you. That's Emma Lane Spollen, National Coordinator of uh, the Ukraine Civil Society Forum. And as you know, the government has agreed to, to ban the sale of e-cigarettes uh, to under-18s, uh, that it uh, will become illegal to sell them through vending machines and advertising e-cigarettes is uh, to be restricted. Let's speak uh, to the health correspondent with the Irish Examiner, Neve Griffin, who's on the line. Good morning to you, Neve, and thanks for joining us. Uh, and you've uh, reported on this extensively in recent months uh, and indeed uh, how popular e-cigarettes are in particular with young people. There seems to be very strong arguments for the government taking this action. Yes, good morning, Michael. Thanks for having me on again. It's it's uh, maybe not surprising, I suppose, that they're tightening up the laws. We've had a lot of research coming out recently because e-cigarettes, as we talked about before, are very new products. But there was a news Irish study just a few, well, few months ago now, sorry, it's November, a few months ago, um, finding that the long-term effects are are not fully researched, but they think that some of the chemicals now in e-cigarettes can cause tissue and cell damage and are linked to cancer, the Health Research Board said. Okay, right. Um, And they've also said that the cigarettes can lead to burnings, poisonings, lung injuries and asthmatic attacks. So that's much stronger at you know, study and evidence than would have been available previously. Because it's a new product and it's mm. a, a study that takes some time to discover what the combination of the contents does to the human body. Yes, exactly, because there's a lot of, um, I suppose, it's, yeah, it is very new. I think 2006, maybe 2005, mm. they started selling them here. So it's it's, it's quite new and uh, very colourful and very attractive and it just takes a long time to figure out what what the risks um, could be. Right, very colourful, colourful and attractive. But why so colourful and attractive? Uh, we were uh, talking about it yesterday and saying that they should be a wonderful thing as a tool uh, for people to give up cigarettes uh, instead of attracting people to start a very addictive habit because they contain nicotine, which is one of the most addictive substances on earth. But why are they so colourful? Why are, are there so many flavours uh, in these things? <laughs> well, that's- that's a good question. I was reading this morning um, that one estimate thinks there's 16,000 different flavours of vape um, available around the world, <laughs> including, you know, gummy bears and mm. bubble gum and, and different things like that. I mean, I suppose they, they don't produce, if you're, if you're using a vape, they don't produce tar and carbon monoxide. Yeah. So they are mm. less damaging for you than cigarettes. Um, and that was indeed the, the plan, I suppose, that people would use them to quit. Mm. But when you talk to teenagers now, they're telling you they've never smoked before yeah. and they're vaping because this is the, you know, it is, as you say, very attractive. And the manufacturers say that they're not targeting children, that adults like these um, mm. these flavours and the packaging also. But, I mean, I think it's 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 hard to argue at this stage. There's so much research showing that children are 
using it. Yeah, I was and talking to a, a middle-aged man uh, who would advocate the use of e-cigarettes, uh, John Malina of Forest, and I was asking what is attractive about something that looks like a, a lipstick to him. Uh, and obviously the intention is uh, that young girls are to think, well, that looks nicer or whatever it is. Um, but the Irish Heart Foundation have been saying as well that the legislation that Stephen Donnelly uh, is proposing doesn't go far enough because of the flavours and also because of the disposable uh, e-cigarettes. And you were reporting on them a couple of months ago and why they're so popular, particularly with young people. That's right. So the the big thing, I suppose, if you're smoking and you're living at home with your parents and you know they don't approve of smoking, you have all the, perf- you know, you have the, the lighter, you have the carton of cigarettes, you have all of this. But the disposable vapes, you can go out, you can buy it, you can smoke it, you know, vape all day while you're out with your friends and then you just throw it away. Mm. And you come um, back and you don't smell. And you don't smell because it's, you know, it's cherry flavoured, it's banana flavoured, it's coffee flavoured. And so it's a lot. And I've been told that by teenagers who say, yes, this is why we use the disposable Mm. ones, because we won't get into trouble. You know, you can smoke in school. Teachers have been raising concerns about kids vaping in the toilets, which, I mean, I know kids have always smoked. Um, but I suppose that the issue with this is we don't really know yet the, mm. the impact of it. I'm just thinking, if you, if you gave me a week and I was to write down a flavour every time I thought of one, I think by the end of the week I might get to a couple of hundred uh, at best. What did you say, mm. 15,000, 16,000 flavours? 16,000, the World <laughs> Health Organisation, one of their studies on it. Right, OK, yeah. Um, well, that's, I presumably every country probably has their own, you know, I, 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 popular, spo- I imagine so. Flavors. I imagine everybody trying to give up cigarettes has their own popular flavour as well. Neve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. And I mean, there's a lot of the the new bill when it comes in will restrict the advertising and restrict everything. But I think until teenagers really get information about it, you'd yeah. like to see more actual information because they're not going to listen to people like you and me, to yeah. be honest, well, no, saying no, that no, it's absolutely. dangerous. So you need to treat teenagers, you know, as young adults really and explain the risks to them clearly. So Neve, hopefully that will be part of it. Always good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Neve Griffin, health okay, correspondent with you. the Irish Examiner. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMF. LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.